Well, good evening, Mosaic. We're so glad that you've joined us. And for those of you who've joined us online, welcome. Um, man, beautiful day. Just gorgeous. Um, and it's just so fun when we got here. Kids going into the kids' areas and having classes. Man. It's just, just a great time to gather and worship and, and celebrate, and we're glad that you're here. If this is your first time, we want to say welcome. Thanks for, for being here. If it's your first time back in a long time, welcome home. We're glad you came to join us, and, uh, and we're just so grateful that you're here. Again, as always, this is um, a safe place just to sit and experience the empowering presence of Christ with us. And so we are just, we just want you to engage with us. If you are new, there are many ways you can connect with us, and we'd love for you to do that. So please uh, let us know how we can connect with you uh, by reaching out to us. Hey, one of the things I wanted to do tonight is uh, we have the opportunity as a body, we partner with an organization called For All Mankind Movements, and they, uh, the ministry that we partner with them in, with them in is in India. And just recently, I got an annual update from them, and I wanted to share with you in that horrible year 2020, remember how horrible that year was? I wanted to share with you what God's been doing in 2020 in India. So I can't see those back there. Can I turn my back? Here we go. 6,377 believers baptized in 2020. Man. 5,209 story groups started. Let me tell you what a story group is. They go into these villages uh, where there are no churches and, and no, usually no Christians at all, and they gather the people and say, Can we, want, we want to tell you some stories out of the Bible. And, and they have a kind of a party there, and they tell some stories, and they'll say, and if you want us to come back, we'll come back again and tell you more stories. And almost every time the people say, please, come back. And once they get a rhythm of, uh, of going and telling stories in these villages, that's what a story group is. And these are people who come every week to sit and to hear more stories uh, of Jesus and, and of the, out of the Gospels. And so uh, 5,000 of those, 778 churches planted. 778 churches planted. And so we just uh, we rejoice in seeing that because out of those churches planted, that just multiplies uh, the, the gospel going forward. 11,211 leaders trained and 66,253 new people reached in 2020. And the reason, reason I share that, first of all, I want you to know God's been moving even when we thought nothing good was happening. God's been moving all around the world. The second reason I wanted to share that with you is because you helped make that possible. We partner with them. So everything that, that they're able to do, they're able to do partly because you're faithful to give and to pray and to encourage. And so I just wanted to say thank you, Mosaic. Celebrate with me all that God is doing uh, in, with fam in India. So let's pray and just thank God for the greatness of the gospel that is going forward. Lord Jesus, we just celebrate. All of these numbers represent individual people that you know by name. And so many of them now know you, and they call you Lord, and they worship you, and we are so excited about that. Lord, the kingdom has, has been extended 
by your people, those faithful followers of Jesus in India that just keep going to that next village and that next village and that next village. And we just pray for them, Lord. It's been hard for them this year, and yet they've been so faithful. So, Lord, bless them, protect them, provide for them. And Lord, I pray that every church that's planted would just become a great lighthouse for you to proclaim your gospel to a people who don't even know who Jesus is. And so, Lord, we thank you for honoring us as a church, as individuals, to be able to partner with you in the kingdom work that you're doing. So we celebrate you tonight. We praise you, and we just rejoice in the goodness of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Doug. Good evening. It is so good to see your faces again tonight. It's good to be with you, Mosaic family. And uh, I've been jealous for this time. I've been looking forward to it all week um, and just anticipating, Lord, what do you want to do? How do you want to continue to deepen and form us? And so our time together in worship tonight and, and in teaching, just as always, just a reminder This is a formative experience for us. This is part of our discipleship together to Jesus. And so uh, as we sing these truths tonight, would you just be prayerful tonight? God, would you make these truths true in my life? Would you put them into me? Would you begin to uh, just get me to where I am expressing the truth that I'm singing? Okay, so as we sing tonight, let's sing these truths and pray that God would form them in us. Are you with me? Okay, let's do it. Let's stand together and sing.
I wrote that song about five years ago, and, uh, and I do long to love God. And I desire for us as a family to love God. And yet, there's still something at work in me that's, that, that doesn't love God. And maybe you relate. And so we take a moment to pause and to confess and just be honest that we are men and women that are torn. We still have this flesh working against us, holding us back. And so would you just, would you read this along with me from Romans 7 as our confession tonight? Read it with me together. I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? I'm thankful that there's a verse 25. Let's read it together. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ, he laid down his life for us. Again, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Again, 
This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so we take and eat in remembrance of that love in Jesus Christ. His body broken for us, church. Take and eat. And his blood poured out for our forgiveness. Take and drink. Let's celebrate his goodness.
Church, would you remain standing for the reading of our, our passage tonight? Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kanesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kanesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on the day Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Well, God, when we hear your words, we are hearing the mind and the heart of Yahweh. You speak because you want to relate to us. You reveal yourself to us because you want relationship with us. What a grace. What a grace you've given us in Jesus Christ, the living word, but also what a grace you've given us through your written word, the Bible. So now we open our hearts up and our minds up to you and ask you to inform us, lead us, guide us, father us the way only you can. Speak because we're listening. And Lord, when our hearing is dull, tap us on the shoulder over the next few minutes as well. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So good to have you here tonight. And listen, listen to what you don't hear very much. Yeah, I know, they're in their kids' classes right now. Isn't that good? And it's not because we tired of having them with us. It was sweet uh, for the year that uh, we were able to have kids with us in adult worship. But let's be honest, for them and their perspective, this is really sweet for them. And for those of you who dropped off and checked in kids right now, you know they were excited. It's been 52 Saturday nights that they have not been able to worship with their peers, hearing God's word at an age level that's built for them, and I hope this is a rich night. Hey, parents, as you drive away tonight after the service, make it about them. Talk to them about what they heard and enjoy the fact that you get the chance to enter in through their worship as they recount the stories with you. And if you're worshiping with us online right now, thanks for being so faithful. It's been a year and you're continuing to press on and that's a good thing. Faithfulness always has its reward. 
Uh, my wife, Lisa, and I knew and loved two older men who died in the same year. Both of them were in their mid-80s. Both had very similar health issues, and uh, both of them were Christians. But they finished life very differently from one another. One maintained a focus on God and others, even in the midst of his pain at the end. The other, not so much. I learned a whole lot by watching those men through that two-year period of their death. I remember telling the men in my own small group, I feel like I'm getting a graduate degree on what it might look like to finish well. In fact, at one point, I looked at them one morning and said, Guys, it's becoming my conviction that you never finish better than the way you lived. This trajectory back here ends up landing at a destination over here. What is it that caused one of those men to finish so well and the other not as? Well, in this section of Joshua that we're in tonight, by the way, it's in a section that's known as the allotment, meaning that Canaan has been mostly conquered and the tribes of Israel are now getting their allotment, their inheritance assigned to them, we pick up the story of Caleb in the middle of the allotment. The chapter actually begins in chapter 14, verse 1, where the text tells us that these are the inheritances that the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel gave them to inherit. So Joshua chapters 13 uh, through 19 is known as the allotment chapters. Now, if you're reading through the book of Joshua with us, you know that you're in a section of scripture right now that's a tad bit tedious. Okay, just to, let's just say what you're thinking. It, it's a little boring. But do you know who's not bored by those six chapters describing the allotment? Those who are receiving the allotment. Do you know who never is bored at a reading of a will? The people listed in the will. They actually think it's the most exciting thing they've heard in an awful long time. And in the middle of this inheritance story, we pick up the story of Caleb. Caleb's story picks up in verse 6 that Houston already read for us. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, I was 40 when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. So let's pause here and observe just a couple of things about the setting. 
because the first thing we see is that Caleb admits right up front that he's an old man. In fact, he's one of the two oldest men in Israel, and he actually comes to the only other old man in Israel, and they talk about the past together, just like old men still do at Wesner's every morning in downtown Rogers. Do not begrudge old men from telling the stories of days gone by. Don't roll your eyes even on the inside. In fact, lean in and listen because there are pearls of wisdom that drop out through the years of life. And the first thing that Caleb mentions about his past is that he's the, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. You know what that means? Caleb's not an Israelite by blood. He wasn't born with this privilege. The Kenizzites were an Edomite tribe. Edomites were a descendant of Esau, not Jacob. We don't know Jephunneh, his father's story, but somehow it intersected with the people of God, Israel, and he joined up and made their God his God. But Caleb was from an immigrant family. And this young man grew up to become a leader within his tribe of Judah. The second thing you see is how he led at this very defining moment. And it wasn't just a defining moment in Caleb's life. It was the defining moment in all of, of Israel's life. Because when he was 40 years old, he says, Caleb was picked as a representative of his tribe to go on a recon mission into the promised land of Canaan, spy it out and see how it was that they could best take the land. So 12 spies from those 12 tribes go into the land, 12 spies come out of the land and they give a report, not the same report. All 12 of them agreed the land was exceedingly good. But only two of them, Caleb and Joshua, gave a minority report 10 gave a majority report. And the majority report sounded like this. The people are many, the cities are fortified, and not just that, but the descendants of Anakite are there. And the way they said it is they are giants. And when we compare ourselves to them, we're like bugs, grasshoppers that can be squished. Do not go forward. Caleb and Joshua, they were so grieved at what they heard. The text actually says they tore their robes. And that's a sign, a public sign of grief. This wasn't just breaking their heart. They knew this was breaking the heart of Yahweh. And they said, no, we must go in. For one reason and one reason only, God promised us the victory. The people went with the majority report, not the minority report. And as a result, God wandered them around the desert for 40 years until all of the adults died off and a new generation could come of age to begin to trust God and go forward. There's a third thing I see that Caleb's already said. Do you notice how many times he recounts his age at every stage? He says, I was 40 at that defining moment at Kadesh Barnea. 45 years have gone by, a good 40 of it, walking around in the desert, five years of hard battle here in the Canaan. In the Canaan. And now he says, uh, I'm, on, I'm only 85. 
You know, I uh, had actually written in my notes that we would title this message, Finishing Well. But after looking at how Caleb keeps fixating on his age, I've decided it's better titled, Aging Well. Yes, Caleb finished well. But Caleb finished well because he aged well from a young man to a middle-aged man and now to an old man. The trajectory of his life was moving in the right direction. Listen, there are four adult generations in this body. We have those who are 19 and those all the way up to 90. And whatever age you find yourself at tonight, whatever place in the season of life God has put you this night, there is something about Caleb's life that speaks to us in every season, at least to those of us who want to finish life well. Because you will only finish well if you live well. And you will only live well if you age well through the seasons of life. And so if you're interested in aging well, living well, and finishing well, maybe we take a peek at Caleb. Let's jump into the first thing we see in his life Looking at verse six and nine that we didn't read in that last slide, Caleb says this out of his own words. He says, you know that the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me, you Joshua and me. And Moses swore on that day saying, surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever because you have wholly followed the Lord, my God. See, I actually think the secret to aging well is good vision. And, and I don't mean good eyesight. I mean the ability to clearly see who God is and what God says to us as we walk with him in this life. Caleb is fixated. Have you noticed he's fixated on what God has promised? His entire conversation with Joshua is based on a promise from God that he got through Moses, God's servant. And he, it's only been 45 years, but he's still holding on to that promise as though it was yesterday. He's focused on the promises of God because he knows the character of God and he knows God can be trusted. See, Caleb knows that the promises of God are always linked to the providence of God. Now, when we talk about the providence of God, uh, we, we are talking about God's sovereign leadership over all of the events, all of the details of our life, that he's working out his plan, even from Caleb's perspective, though it looked like it was going in circles for four decades in the desert. The promises of God are spoken and they line up with the providence of God, the leadership of God underneath his sovereign will. What God says will happen, happens because he's leading the happenings. Does that make sense? God's in charge of both the promises and the events. And Caleb, he's bought into that sovereign will. And I think that did two things for him. Seeing the promises and the providence of God allowed Caleb as a young man 
to walk wholeheartedly with God. In fact, that's what the text actually says. I followed God wholeheartedly. So Caleb is actually finishing now as a man of faith because he aged as a man of faith. Caleb says to Joshua, I followed God wholeheartedly. Folks, that's not bragging. Did you notice in the text here, he's just quoting what Moses said about him. And so when others looked at Caleb's life, they saw a man who was wholly devoted to the person and the purposes of Yahweh. And that caused him at a young age, and then a middle age, and now at old age, to keep clinging to the promises of God. Do you ever wonder why Jesus says that the greatest commandment is that we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Because that, that aspect of wholeheartedness is the greatest demonstration of a life of faith in every season we find ourselves. But here's what I find is striking. Holding on to the promises and the providence of God also allows Caleb as an old man to live with contentment and gratitude. And that's stunning. Because life's not been fair to Caleb. Who was one of the only two who wholeheartedly obeyed God at that defining moment? Caleb. Everybody else turned from God and got marched through the desert for 40 years. Guess who had to suffer along with them? Caleb. For four decades, his life was monotony. What were you doing four decades ago? Yeah, that's a long time, isn't it? For four decades, he was a man who lived with frustrated, broken dreams. For four decades, he held on to a promise of God with delayed gratification. I don't know about you, but that is a recipe to grow up as one bitter old man. Do you pick that up in the text? I don't. Something allowed him to still cling to the promises of God with contentment. See, he didn't just see circumstances for four decades. He saw Yahweh. And Yahweh owns the promises and is in control providentially of the plan. Your vision of God will keep you from growing old with the common syndromes that sometimes come with old age. Let's be honest, doesn't matter what age you are, you might actually be in the last years of your life, but you have known too many seniors who struggle with AOM syndrome, angry old man syndrome, or BOW, bitter old woman syndrome. I, I don't want to end life with GOM grumpy old man, or worse, selfish old man, S-O-M, or C-O-M, complacent old man. 
How does it happen that we can fall into that? Those things don't happen to our heart like a physical disease attacks our body. No, those are the result of not aging well. It's the result of living for self rather than living for Jesus and his purposes. This week, my friend Abel Schaefer told me something his dad once told him that stuck with him instantly more than a decade ago. He said, Mark, my father told me that life is lived in thirds. The first third of life is a battle against a foolish heart. The second third of life is a battle against a divided heart. And the last third of life, it's a battle against a hard heart. If you're in that first, second, or third, third, you've seen it, and you can find yourself resonating with Abel's father, can't you? Yes, it is a battle. But how do we stay wholeheartedly devoted to Yahweh in that battle? Well, let's keep seeing what we see in Caleb's life. Look at verse 10, next verse down. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the, the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive those rascals out of this land. It's inspiring to hear this kind of, of speech from Caleb. How does it come to be? Well, I do think Caleb saw the past. Remember the promises and the providence of God. But I think Caleb has a pretty clear vision on the, the present as well. He says, look, uh, I'm still alive. Look, I am 85, but look, uh, the, the, the giants are still in the land. And look, I could still be assigned to be the one who drives them out. So give me the hardest assignment in the nation. Caleb wants the very land that was occupied by the Anakim 40 years ago. You remember the Anakim were the ones that frightened Israel? And I think what Caleb is doing here is not an act of bravado. No, I think Caleb knows that Israel missed their defining moment. And that if God would be so good and gracious, maybe he would be able to step back into that moment as a one large do-over and see Yahweh glorified among the very people that caused Israel to melt with fear. I think Caleb wants God's name to be great where God's name was really small 40 years earlier. And I love that spirit. So he turns to his lifelong buddy and he says, Josh, give me another shot at the assignment that the Lord gave us 40 years ago. And I love his faith here. Do you notice the sense that he believes something good will happen, but he has no guarantees? The NIV says, perhaps 
the Lord will be with me and we'll get, get victory. Or perhaps it doesn't go so well. Doesn't matter to me. I just wanna step out in faith and see what God might do in this assignment. He wants to live the adventure of faith even in his last years. I find this so inspiring, don't you? I wanna finish this way, don't you? But for that to happen, we must see ourselves like Caleb sees himself. On assignment in every season of life. Draw a breath right now. Doesn't matter what age you are, draw a breath. You can say exactly what Caleb said in the scriptures. I am still alive. Well, if you're still alive, you're still on assignment for some good God-glorifying purpose that he's given you. And it's not a cookie-cutter assignment. Yours might be different than mine, but it doesn't matter. We can encourage one another to step into God's assignment at every season of life. My wife, Lisa, is one of the wisest people I know. She's famous in our home for saying, uh, every season of life has an assignment. And the secret to living well is to know your season and to know your assignment. The assignments change depending on the seasons, don't they? Sometimes it's the assignment of taking care of young kids who seem to scramble your brain. Sometimes it's the assignment of taking care of older parents who seem to scramble your brain. Others, it's in between and your brains are scrambled just all by themselves. The assignment might look different, but the key is to know your season and fulfill the assignment God's given. Lisa and I are in the last chapter of our vocational, our working years. In the last couple of years of, of almost 35 years of active parenting. Do you know what is most tempting right now? Coast. Coast now in preparation for what everybody tells us is the next season. Coast now in preparation to check out later, to disengage from life later. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, Lisa and I, we hear the same thing that the rest of you here, and that is that the good life happens when we can disengage from our assignments and spend it all on me or we. Uh, have you ever noticed how we, I, I'm, Lisa and I represent the last year of the baby boomers, how we in our generation of the 50s, 60s, and a little bit up, how similar we are to our millennial children? Have you ever noticed that? So funny, we boomers are always complaining about millennials. It's like pot, meat, kettle. Because we both have the same vision of the good life and the good life is only happens when we can travel and then sightsee and take selfies. And by the way, if that is the ultimate definition, if disengagement from daily life is the ultimate definition of the good life, doesn't it stand to reason that the, the pinnacle of the good life then would, would be a nursing home? But why aren't people clamoring to get into them more? 
because we know that's not the good life. The good life is when we can fulfill the assignment of God in whatever season he has us at this moment. When we live for Jesus and his purposes. I grew up with the American dream baptized in me. The American dream summed up with work all you can, can all you get, then sit on your can. No, something could be different for us. Seven years ago, Lisa and I turned 50, which I know for some of my friends in here, this keeps saying, that just makes you young. And many others are saying, you're how old? And you know, um, I don't know why, but we started asking each other, let's pray that we don't coast. Let's pray that we walk into the next season, the 50s and 60s, walking by faith and trusting whatever God has for us next. But the truth is, life was pretty settled for us, both personally and professionally. And here's the deeper truth. We liked it that way. And then about three years after starting to pray that, Lord, don't let us coast. Let us keep walking by faith. The elders asked if we would pray about leaving the job and joining the the launch of Fellowship Bentonville. It scared us to death. I mean, it scared us so much that the first thing we did, we looked at each other. I looked at Lisa and said, do I have another church launch in me? I mean, I've done this twice and it's just a really hilly piece of land. And perhaps I won't make it up the hill. But there's something about saying yes to the next assignment God gives that has quickened our pulse. Now, to be honest, some of the quickening of that pulse is fear. But much of it is excitement. Lord, we're still alive. What do you want to do in this next season of life? So if you are the younger season of life or the middle-aged season of life, could you see in Caleb's life the lesson that your current heart direction matters? Meaning your current direction of heart will determine your destination in life. You will not finish better than you age and you will not age better than you live in your heart's direction and affection. So if your heart is built or bent on selfish ambition or if your heart is bent on selfish measures uh, to protect yourself, then, then you will end up in a place where you not only cannot take the hill country later in life, you're not even gonna wanna get off the sofa to go get it. The passion will dry out. But if you're in the middle or older season of life, don't don't buy into the culture's con job. It's so prevalent that we just even know that it's the common vision of the later years. And we know that vision. Think of the TV ads. We know that what it means is in your later seasons of life, you're supposed to disengage from as much responsibility as you can. You're supposed to travel with your spouse and don't forget to take your bathtub, right? We know the ad, but that's not the good life. Yes, by all means, if you can travel some, travel some, but better than that, live with a passion for Jesus and ask him what his assignment might be for you 
in that season because you'll have more joy than you can ever imagine, ever dream of having. I think that's been the best part of 16 years ago, moving to Northwest Arkansas to join the fellowship team. Immediately, Lisa and I met couples who, who we wanna be like. We met couples in their older season of life, like Jerry and Sue Dudley, and Don and Ray Reed, and Beth and uh, uh, David English, and uh, we met folks like Shirley Conan and Paul Dubell and people who were living their last season of life with a bigger smile on their face than anybody else I'd ever seen because they still saw themselves on assignment. How did Caleb age well? He saw the past, the providence and the promises of God. He saw the present. He knew that if he was drawing breath, he was on assignment. But he also saw the future. Look at a peculiar episode that comes up in Joshua 15, verse 14. And Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak. So he fought those battles. And he went up from there against the inhabitants of Debir. Now the name of Debir formerly was Kiriath-sephir. And Caleb said, hey, whoever strikes Kiriath-sephir and captures it, to him will I give Aksah, my daughter is a wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, captured it, and he gave Aksah, his daughter, as his wife. And this is an odd scene to me, because Caleb's finished all but the last battle. He's led the troops himself, but now it's almost like he's saying to himself, you know, I am a bit tired. After all, I'm 85. In fact, this is a bit of a young man's game. Is that what we see happening here? I don't sense any of that in Caleb. But for some reason, instead of continuing to lead this last battle himself, he stops and he looks around at his clan and he looks at the younger men, the men who still aren't married. And he says, whoever will lead the next charge, the last charge, I'd like to welcome you as my son-in-law and have you marry my daughter. And a man named Othniel takes him up on that. I don't know what's going on in Caleb's mind. So I'm just gonna give you my own sanctified imagination. Here's what I think is happening. I think Caleb knows that Caleb's journey with God is not just about himself. I think he also sees the future and sees the legacy that God would wanna do after he departs from this earth. In other words, Caleb's legacy is not about Caleb, it's about God through him as a tool. And Caleb wants to pass on the baton of spiritual leadership while he's still alive. And so he looks to those who are younger around him and says, join me, you lead too. And Othniel, his nephew, takes him up on it and wins the victory. Do you know where we come up with Othniel's game, a name again? In the next book of the Bible, the book of Judges, a time when Israel was a mess. She had fallen into idolatry and she had been overrun by, by enemies. And God raises up a judge to deliver the people and the very first judge he raises up is a man named Othniel. 
who now is older himself. And he draws the sword and leads God's people in the hardest battle at his older age. Where did he come up with a vision of finishing life like that? You know where. Uncle Caleb. He wandered with him for 40 years in the desert, sat by campfires with him. He fought side by side with him during the years of conquest. And then he led out under Caleb's blessing the last battle when Caleb passed the torch and said, you can do this. Men and women, to whatever age you are now, look around to someone who's younger than you and ask them to join a journey with Jesus alongside of you. So if you're in your 20s and 30s, look behind you. Ask someone to walk with you as you walk with God. If you're in your 40s or 50s, ask someone in that next generation behind you to come with you. If you're in your 60s and beyond, you're at the best stage. You've got more clout than you ever knew. Ask someone to join you on the journey who's younger. Will Blanchard is a leader here at Mosaic and leads in our training center, and he's an ultra marathoner, which means there might be something going on with Will up here. But um, he always tells me that the runner's principle is this for long distance running. That the way you run the first half of the race determines how well you run the second half. So you only run life's race well when you have a clear vision all the way through from the beginning in. You have to have a clear vision of what? Well, first of all, of the past and then of the present and then of the future. And I think that's what it means for us to age well. It's all we see in Caleb's life. He aged well because he saw the past, God's promises and providence. He knows that that Yahweh led him there, and he could trust Yahweh. He aged well because he saw the present. He knew that if he was breathing, he was on assignment. Somehow, some way, God wanted to use him. And he also saw the future. He saw God's legacy. He looked around at those who were younger than him, now, than him and said, join me on the journey. So wherever you are in the race, whatever season of life you find yourself, age well age well. And you can do that by starting now with a vision and a purpose and live on assignment. But only live on assignment if you can be one of those rare Christians who can handle more contentment and joy. Not everybody can. Some people need a lot to complain about to make them happy. But if you can handle more contentment and joy, join God in whatever assignment he has. I've seen that in my friends Dick and Connie Nervig. I met Dick and Connie 25 years ago in Little Rock when we both worked for another organization, a nonprofit that's headquartered down there. Decades separated us, and then we found ourselves both at Fellowship Bible Church here. Dick serves as one of our elders. He and Connie lead small groups together, and then individually, they each disciple men and women younger than them. And then together as a team, they look for ways to serve our city. And they're some of the happiest human beings I've ever seen. See how they do it. Take a look at their story. 
When we moved here um, 11 years ago, we were embarking on a new season of life, retirement or redeployment as Dick loves to call it. And I just remember thinking at that time, this is a brand new start for me. And God, what do you have in mind for me now? And I had a mentor years ago that said, a vision is a clear mental picture of a preferred future imparted by God to a willing servant. This is a new season of life. We have all kinds of opportunities. What is that gonna look like for us? But in that vision, it says a willing, humble, obedient spirit. Um, and that, that means that uh, we have spent a lot of time discussing, praying, searching the scripture, talking to other people, God, that God has sovereignly provided for us to uh, come up with that vision for our lives at this time. In 1984, our second child, Matthew, uh, was born Down syndrome. And uh, almost at two years of age, he died after his second open heart surgery. That was an extremely painful, difficult time. And we were confused by that. But God has chosen to use that difficult, extremely painful time in our eyes, lives to open up so many doors of ministry that we couldn't possibly imagine. Certainly through our Matthew life, um, God has given us a ministry and a heart for those who are hurting and grieving and have gone through loss and so many opportunities that I know I would not have had had we not had that experience of losing Matthew. I just think God uses all of the experiences in our lives. He always says, there are no wasted experiences in God's economy. He uses them all and there's a purpose <laughs> and he will live out his purpose and plan through our lives and our stories if we're willing to share them. There's a thread of discipleship that just flows through uh, what I, I feel like God has uh, sovereignly equipped me to be involved with. And uh, certainly the uh, discipleship of our uh, adult kids and grandkids, that's an ongoing process. And with that in mind, I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking that as a, as a former educator, the power of modeling and my grandkids, I mean, they are watching all the time. And in the back of my mind, I have this little fear. I want to make sure that I'm expressing the authentic Christ to them. And I'm not this uh, grumpy old grandfather that looks like they've had a transfusion from a dill pickle. <laughs> I would tell you in the last four, 40 years, there's been a real passion and a desire uh, to truly understand what it means to live and finish well from God's perspective. But bigger than that, to lock arms with people, men and women of our season of life, study the scripture and what is our God-ordained rule for this season. I have three passions. Um, life and ministry with Dick, um, our adult children and grandchildren, and ministry with other women at this point in my life. Availability is the word I would use to encourage our season of life. And I think the culture really screams that at us. This is the time for you to live for you. And I want to say 
for myself. The biggest joy and fulfillment I've ever had in my life is knowing that I'm living in God's will, serving Him, doing what I can to encourage other people. And I don't do it perfectly, and I know I probably missed opportunities that God had placed before me, but I think we have to have that availability and that mindset to think about how, how am I gonna allow God to use my life now? Don't allow yourself to drift away from all of the values that we have by being in community. The truth, the accountability, the relationships are critically important at every season of life. And the other one, living with intentionality at Fellowship here, we talk about the priorities. These are the things that are closest to God's heart. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love others and make disciples. That's the essence of the good life. Connie and I, we look at each other, we are living the dream now. And it's not because that we're that special or that we're that talented, but God is just blessing our socks off. And then uh, to my other boomer and sages, don't allow yourself to live a retirement that's focused on self, that's focused on worldly value. Focus what I would like to refer to, and it's a reminder to me to live redeployed. There's a spiritual battle mentality to that. Stay in the battle, stay focused. Our kids need us, our grandkids need us, our church needs us. There are so many, so many opportunities for us to serve. Don't allow the enemy of our soul to tell us that you have nothing to offer, that you're being put out to pasture. I pray that we could lock arms together, study the scripture, know what it means to live and finish well, that God would continue to raise up this army of boomers and sages. One author talks about the silver tsunami forging ahead, leading the charge in a God's mission in his heart for generational discipleship. That's a good word. Hey, Mosaic, in a few moments, we're going to sing a prayer in response to what we've just heard. And I want to encourage you to take any posture that you need. Maybe you sit to contemplate or you kneel to submit. Or maybe you stand in agreement or hold your hands out in front of you as a symbol of offering or receiving something from the Lord. Or maybe you even put your hands up like a child asking to be held by a father as we yield our will and way to his perfect will and way. And whatever posture you take, do so with intention as we sing these words. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing. Lord, you are good and trustworthy and faithful in all that you do. Father, we entrust to you again our lives our loved ones, our gifts, and our skills to your eternal purpose. We ask for your vision for our lives, Lord, and that your voice would be the loudest among all the others. Lord, we submit to you and we yield to you because we know that in your presence is the fullness of joy.
Thank you again for joining us. Would you take some time this week, maybe tomorrow, and just begin thinking through some of the thoughts uh, that we were challenged with. Lord, speak to me. Maybe in a disciple-making community, maybe you want to start a disciple-making community over these things with the challenge that we've been given. Mosaic, God bless you. Thank you again for just making this a great day for me. All right? We'll see you later.